Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Thank you, children. Last week, our children blessed us with the handbells, and we're so thankful for all the the work that they did, and so um, we're, we're excited about that. As your pastor, one of my roles is to protect the flock from error, from heresy. And much that passes for Christianity on Christian television is a far cry from Christianity. There's a lot of wackos and religious nuts out there who come up with some pretty extraordinarily weird things. And so I'm not really here to pick on anybody this morning, but I, I, want, you, I want you to realize a story about a, a televangelist. I'm not going to mention his name, but you may know who he is. He's, he's a Cajun televangelist from, from Louisiana who has flaming white hair, and he, he's kind of a, a stand-up comedian kind of guy. But anyway, he tells a story about how back in 1988... He was physically transported to heaven and had a conversation with Jesus. One day while he was eating a sandwich, God spoke to him and said, I want to bring you up to heaven, but I don't think you can handle it. So after a few months of um, having angelic visitations, one day while he was in his hotel room shaving, he was launched up into heaven like a suction cup in in a chariot, and he was brought to heaven. And he said that his book's called Close Encounters of the God Kind. And um, he saw Jesus, and Jesus had white hair and was about six foot two, and and Jesus took this televangelist to um, what this televangelist's home was going to be when he gets to heaven. It was a huge mansion with manicured lawns and fountains and all these, these neat things. And so, and then after a while, the televangelist sees Jesus over by a river crying. And so the televangelist goes over and says, Jesus, why are you, why are you weeping? Why are you so sad? Why are you so upset? And Jesus says, well, because I'm going to have to come back someday, and it's not going to be a pretty picture. But I want you to go back and tell everybody I'm coming back. And so here's what the televangelist wrote in his book. He said, I wanted to reach out and comfort him and put my hand on the Lord. I could tell that Jesus was hurting. Aren't you glad that a guy got transported to heaven and had to comfort Jesus? Do we believe stories like this where a person claims to be transported into heaven and to have physically seen Jesus face to face and have come back to talk about it? Now, I don't know whether that happened or not, but the question we've got to ask this morning, has anybody ever seen God and lived? Has anybody ever seen God? Has anybody ever physically seen God with the naked eye? Now, we come to our passage of Scripture this morning with this beatitude, and it's staggering what Jesus promises us in the beatitude. So, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1 through 8, camping out on verse 8, which is where the beatitude is that we're we're looking at this morning. But we want to look at these in progression because they build upon one another. And just for, for emphasis and reminder, let's read them all together. So, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain... And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then for this morning, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is a profound, far-reaching beatitude when you really stop and think about the magnitude of what is promised here and what is talked about here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to ask three questions, three major questions of this passage of Scripture to understand what Jesus is really talking about. Here's the first question. What does Jesus mean when he talks about the heart? What does the Bible mean when it talks about the heart? Blessed are the pure in heart. What's the heart? 
Secondly, what does it mean to be pure in heart? What's this purity he's talking about? And thirdly, what does it really mean to see God? What does it mean to see God? Now, I want to warn you, there are a lot of scriptures this morning that I'm using to back up my thoughts because as I've dived into the scripture, to this passage of scripture in the Beatitudes, just scriptures just keep coming out. So we're going to be all over the, the map this morning, but I want us to really understand what Jesus is saying here. So here's the big idea this morning. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's how we can encapsulate this beatitude. A heart of integrity for Christ, a heart of integrity for Christ will experience a depth of intimacy with Christ. A heart of integrity for Christ will experience a depth of intimacy with Christ. That's what it means to be pure in heart and seeing God. Now let's ask the first question. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word heart? Is it just talking about that muscle in our body that pumps blood and keeps us living? Is that what the heart is? No, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the totality of who we are. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our affections, our choices, our desires. It's this, the command center of who you are. When, when you strip everything else away, who you are internally is the heart. It's that inner core of who you are. It's your, it's your seat of personality. It's the spiritual part of who you are. It's the deepest part of your longings. The Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. He's telling us, watch your heart because from your heart flows everything. Everything about you comes from your heart. Your heart is the center of everything. It's where you think. It's where you feel. It's where you react. It's where you long. It's where you worship. Everything comes from the heart. So guard it is what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Guard your heart. God looks at the heart. As a matter of fact, when, when God told Samuel to go pick the next king of Israel, he said, don't look at outside appearances. 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the heart is that core of who we are. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our affections, everything that makes us who we are is our heart. But also, and this is where it gets kind of scary in the Christian life, the heart is also where we struggle with sin. The heart is where sin kind of resides in us. And we have to be really careful when it comes to the heart. Because Jeremiah 17, 17 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand your heart? Yes, the heart is the core of who we are, but our heart is deceitful. Our heart can fool us. Listen to what Jesus says about the heart in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's just look down here at chapter 5. Look at verse 27. This is later on in the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes. But listen to what Jesus says about the heart. He says in verse 27, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, every one that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus is saying here is there's the physical act of adultery, which is really a big sin, but you can also commit the same type of sin by lusting for, for another person. You've committed adultery in your heart. It's a heart issue just as much as it is as an external action issue. It starts in your heart. Sexual immorality starts in the heart before it gives birth to action. Now go down to chapter 6. Look at verses 19 through 21. Jesus has addressed sex. Now he's going to address money. Isn't it very relevant that Jesus talks about the two big traps that most people in America deal with, sex and money? Here we go. 619. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's your heart. Where you spend money, 
Where you spend time, where you spend resources, where you give yourself to, that's where you're going to find your heart. That's where you're going to find your heart. Where your treasure is, there is where your heart is also. Listen to what Martin Luther said about the heart. He says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. What your real God is, you may say, I believe in God, but your real God is where your heart is drawn to. Where is your heart drawn to? That's where your real God is. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15 for a moment. Jesus tells us something very scary about the heart. Matthew 15, Jesus could not be more clear about the heart. We've seen adultery springs from the heart. The sin of materialism springs from the heart. The heart is deceitful. Guard your heart. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. All these evil things come from our heart. So in essence, God is always after our hearts. It's always about the heart. It's where you think, it's where you feel, it's where you decide, it's where you, it's where you have your emotions, it's where you have your longings, it's, it's where you choose. Everything centers around the heart. And God is most interested in our hearts. And I often hear Christians say this, I'm just going to follow my heart, as if that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. If you follow your heart, and the Bible says your heart is deceitful, and you always have to be guarding your heart, you can follow your heart right to hell if you're not careful. A lot of people have gotten in trouble by just following their heart. I'm just going to follow my heart. I'm just going to do what my heart tells me. I'm just going to follow my heart. No, don't follow your heart. If you're going to follow something, follow this. The infallible and errant written word of God that you know can always be trusted. This will not deceive you, but your heart will. Now, we also need to correct something this morning. There's an error that's been around for many years. It's the opposite extreme. It's, it's the error that says this. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's this error, there's this doctrine out there that says you can actually in this life attain a state of sinless perfection where you no longer struggle with sin. You can be so pure in heart here on earth that you no longer sin anymore. You've just attained the state of sinless perfection. You've got complete sanctification. You don't deal with sin anymore. Now, what they, what they do when they, when they espouse this doctrine is they don't really understand sin. Because what they've done is they've redefined sin to outward behavior. Don't go see rated R movies unless they deal with the crucifixion. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go with girls who do. Don't dance. Don't play cards. Don't do this. They've made it behavior modification. And they say, if I just don't do these things, I can get to a point where I don't sin. And especially when you compare yourself to someone else, you can say, well, I, I don't sin anymore because I don't do these external things. And what they've done is they've lowered the bar on sin. They've made it outward action. They've not dealt with the heart. You can do a lot of outward actions and look really good and have a really bad heart. You can have a lustful heart. You can have a prideful heart. You can have a selfish heart. You can have a heart that has bad motivations. But on the outside, you can be doing all these external things because it comes back to the heart. Listen to what John says in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I wasn't meaning to pick on this evangelist twice, this televangelist twice, but I'm going to pick on him. Okay, so... I was, about three or four years ago, I was flipping through the channels on DirecTV up there, you know, the 300s where all the religious channels are together, and, and he was on there, and I started watching him for a moment because he was kind of entertaining. And so I could stomach about five minutes of it, but then one of the things that he said, here's what he said. He said, I don't struggle. He stood there like this, I don't struggle with sin anymore. I've gotten to the point where I don't sin. I've just told the devil to get away. The devil doesn't bother me. And Christian, if you sin, you've got a problem. Just tell the devil to go away. I don't sin. And at that moment, I thought, poor man. 
God help him. The moment that you stand up on national television and say, I don't sin, there's a problem. We can never get to the point where we don't sin. That pollution of sin, the muck and mire of sin, as long as we're on this earth, is always going to be there. It's always going to be in our hearts at times. It's going to be in the world. The devil's going to come after us. And so we're always going to be struggling with the heart. So, so the heart, when Jesus talks about the heart, it's the deepest part of who we are. It's our mind, our will, our emotions, our choices. Everything about us, the core of our personality, the command center of our lives is the heart. But the second question that we've got to ask is this. Jesus tells us in the Beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. So we've got to ask the question, what does it mean to be pure in heart? What does purity of heart truly mean? When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what does it mean? Well, there's there's really two aspects of purity. There's probably more. And here's the first one. What this really means is that you've got a united heart, an undivided heart, a heart of integrity, a heart that's not a hypocritical heart. It's a heart of integrity for Christ. It deals with integrity, being whole. Listen to what Psalm 66, 18 says. The psalmist says this, If I had cherished, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Notice the wording of the Psalms. What's he doing in his heart? He's cherishing, he's nurturing, he's loving, he's he's embracing iniquity in his heart. And so think about the opposite of that. If the Bible tells us not to cherish iniquity in our heart, what should we do? We should be cherishing and nurturing this integrity of a heart for Christ, for the glory of Christ, for our Savior, to have a heart that's, that's united to Him. Listen to, to, to Psalm 86.11, and, and if you've got your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen, but you may want to go back and read Psalm 86. It's a profound psalm. In Psalm 86.11, many years ago, I came across this passage of Scripture, and I, and I looked up some of the words, and, and it, it kind of just caught me. Psalm 86.11 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Now, that brings up an interesting question. If, if David prays for our heart to be united, is there such a thing as a divided heart? Think about the imagery of a divided heart. It's a heart that's going in two different directions. Part of your heart wants to go towards Christ, and the other part of your heart wants to go towards sin in the world. And you've got this internal heart struggle. And David's saying, take this heart that's that's all over the place, God, and unite it. Bring it together. Give me an undivided heart. I want a single-hearted devotion to you, Jesus. I want this integrity for you, Christ. I want a single-hearted devotion. Because let's just be real honest. Are our hearts prone to wander? I don't know about you, but every week my heart's prone to wander. That's why I need to come and preach. Because if I don't preach, I'll wander. If I don't hear preaching, I'll wander. If I'm not among God's people, I will wander. Think about the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We need to ask God every day, God, take my wandering heart and seal it. Because left to myself, my heart's going to wander. I'm going to have a divided heart. My heart's going to go in all these different directions. And what I want is I want a single, undivided, united heart for Christ. A heart of integrity for Christ. That's what Paul warns Timothy about in 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of this charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the first aspect of purity in heart, maybe one you haven't thought about, is this whole idea of having a united heart. Not a divided heart, a heart of integrity, a heart that's singly, passionately focused on Christ. But the second one's probably the one you thought about. A pure heart just simply means it's not dirty. It's not polluted. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a white heart. It's a purification heart. And, and so here's what happens. The moment that we get saved, we get purified. We get pure, positionally. 
Our position is pure. Our position is spotless. Our position is white. But we also know that as, until we step foot into heaven, we're always going to deal with the pollution of sin in our lives. We're always going to deal with the dirtiness. And so purity of heart is this idea of having our hearts cleaned up from the impurities, which helps us to really ask a huge question this morning. It's probably the question you're asking. It's the question I've been asking all week. If the heart is the center part of who we are, it's the command center, it's, de- it's deceitful, and our hearts are prone to wander, and our hearts are, are prone to be divided, and Jesus calls us to have a pure heart, and he wants us to have purity in the heart, here's the $10 million questions. How do you keep your heart pure? How do you have a pure heart? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 9 through 10. He asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Here's the question. How can a young man, how can a young woman, how can an old man, how can an old woman, how can a boy, how can a girl, how can any of us keep our hearts pure? Now, there's two wrong ways of dealing with it, and there's a right way. Let's let's deal with the wrong ways. Here's the first wrong way to deal with it. Well, the best way to deal with it is just, I'm going to become a monk and remove myself from society and go live as a hermit because I won't have to deal with society. That's the best way to clean up my heart. If I just, if I just retreat, live in a bubble, and not have to worry about anything in this world, if I'm just a monk and not live in society, take away the internet, take away television, take away everything that's going to affect me, and I'm just going to live this really weird existence that, that you probably can't live anyway, but you have this desire that I'm going to abandon the world and live like a monk. If there was just a monastery, I would go live there, and I would never struggle with sin because I would be in a monastery and there would be none of these, these problems. Side note, if you were in a monastery by yourself for five minutes, sin's still going to be there. Because where does it come from? Your heart. Jesus tells us this, John 17, 15. Jesus' prayer for us. I, he's praying to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus says... Don't take them out of the world. We can't be taken out of the world. We've we got to live in this world. We've got to be in this world. We've got to deal with this world. But what does he say? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What's going to cleanse our hearts? What's going to keep us pure? The sanctifying work of the Bible. The word of God is going to be the instrument that God uses to keep our heart pure. So, so one wrong way is just, I'm just going to abandon this world and live in a monastery. Now, the second wrong way is this. If I just clean up my act... If I just try really hard to do good, if I somehow get the, 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 the ivory soap and wash myself hard enough, I'll be pure. It's all up to me to purify myself. Give me the steps to do. Tell me what I need to do. And I will do the steps that I need to do to somehow cleanse myself. Wrong answer. I can just pull myself up by my bootstraps and cleanse myself. Now, here's a psalm that a lot of people have misinterpreted. And I'm going to give you the psalm, and before you, 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 you think about this psalm, you probably thought about it in, in the wrong way. So I'm going to shatter your, your view of this psalm, okay? Psalm 24, 3 through 4. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So David asked the question, Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can come into the presence of God? Who can be in God's presence? Who can march up the steps of the temple and come into the sanctuary of God? He who has clean heart and clean hands and a pure heart. And we often stop and think, I can do that. It's up to me. Who can ascend? Well, I can ascend. If you read the rest of that psalm, it's not talking about you or me. It's talking about Jesus. The rest of the psalm says he's the king of glory, and Jesus is the only one that's had a pure heart. Jesus is the only one that's had clean hands. Jesus is the only one who's never spoken falsely. Jesus is the only one that's lived a perfect life, and until you're connected with Jesus by faith, you can never enter God's presence, and so you've got to come through Christ and not just clean yourself up to somehow purify your own life, because here's the false illusion. Oftentimes when it comes to purity, we think we can just clean up the outside. If I just spiffy up the outside, put on some spiffy clothes, make myself look good externally, that'll be the ticket. 
Just make myself look good. Deal with externals. Put some band-aids on it, but not deal with the issue. Now, one other place in Matthew. Just turn over to Matthew 23. You're already in Matthew 15. Turn over to Matthew 23. Some people think, well, if I just make a New Year's resolution, if I just make this new commitment, if I just do this one thing, it'll make me clean. If I just do something external, if I just clean the outside, if I just put some window dressing on it, Listen to Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is saying that you can make yourself look good on the outside, but it's a matter of the heart. If your heart's not cleaned up, if your heart's not changed, if your heart's not renewed, no matter how much you make your outside look good, you're still rotting on the inside. Now, Paul David Tripp has written an interesting book called um, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and he's given this very interesting illustration. It goes like this. Let's say in your backyard you have an apple tree. And every year the apples that, that are produced on that tree are brown, they're withered, they're rotting, and your wife comes to you and says, this tree really stinks. We've got to do something about this apple tree because it's producing bad apples. And so she looks out the window and she sees you on a ladder. And you're taking down the rotten apples and you've gotten red shiny apples from another tree and you're using a high-powered staple gun and you're stapling apples on the tree to make it look good. And she's looking at you like, that does not make any sense. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the fruit, it's the root. We've got to do something about the root. But see, that's what oftentimes we do. We, we try to go get shiny apples and staple them to the outside of our lives to make ourselves look good when really on the inside it's a heart issue and we never get down to the real issue of having a pure heart. We just want everybody else to think that we look good and so we spiffy up the outside of the apple, staple it to our lives and say, look how good I am. But on the inside, we're rotting. On the inside, we're polluted. On the inside, our hearts are so deceptive. It's just cosmetic. We can't cleanse ourselves. So how do you do it? Well, you can't be a monk, and you can't do it yourself. How do you do it? Well, before I tell us how it happens, I want you to think about how these Beatitudes work together. So go back to Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to look at the second Beatitude. Because I think the second Beatitude and this Beatitude kind of fit like hand in glove. The second Beatitude is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, when we talked about mourning, what is this mourning? It's mourning over our sin. It's mourning over the offense of our sin. It's grieving over our sin. It's at that point where we, we desire to repent. And so here's what happens. We mourn over the pollution of sin, and that drives us to plead and beg with the Holy Spirit to do the work of cleansing that only He can do. The only way the heart's ever going to be cleansed is if the Holy Spirit does it. What does Paul, I mean, what does um, David say in Psalm 51.10? You guys know this, this psalm. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice what the text doesn't say. The psalm doesn't say, God, I'm going to create in me a new heart. What does he say? God, you have to create in me a new heart. God, you've got to do it. Create in me a new heart, God. Now, it's interesting. What word does he use there? Create. It's the Hebrew word, bacha. It's only used of God, and it was specifically used when God created the heavens and the earth. It's never, that Hebrew word is never used of a human creating something. So if we're going to have this heart purity, it's something that only God can create. You can't staple fruit. You have to beg and plead with the Holy Spirit. God, you've got to create this in me. God, you've got to work this in me. God, you've got to clean me up. God, you've got to purify me. God, you must do this work of cleansing. Listen to Thomas Watson, a good old Puritan from the 1600s, what he said. Oh, Christian, be earnest with God for a pure heart. 
Lay your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, you who have given me a heart, give me a pure heart. My heart is good for nothing as it is. It defiles everything it touches. Lord, I'm not even fit to live with this heart. I cannot honor you. Oh, purge me. Let Christ's blood be sprinkled upon me. Let the Holy Spirit descend on me. Create in me a clean heart. Does that describe you this morning? Do you have this deep desire for the Holy Spirit to come and create in you a clean heart? Do you cry out to God, God, create in me a clean heart. My heart is prone to wander. My heart is deceitful. I can't clean myself up. You've got to come in and and purify my heart. Paul says it in just a little bit different way in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Now, when Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves, it doesn't mean that we do it in our own power. What he's saying is, we need to put ourselves in a posture to ask the Holy Spirit to do this work of cleansing in us, to cleanse ourselves from every defilement. And so here's the issue. Some of you may be thinking at this point, well, if the Holy Spirit does all of the work of cleansing, then I can just be passive and live however I want. I have no responsibility in the matter. God's just going to wash me, and so I can just kind of live however I want and just hope that God washes me. Wrong answer. You have an active role, even though you, you, can't, you can't cleanse yourself, but you've got an active role in the process. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 paradoxical verse verse 12 therefore my beloved as you've always obeyed so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling okay you work it out you pursue holiness you live righteously your responsibility now if we're just left with verse 12 we're like my goodness i can't do it if it's left up to me you just told me sean i can't cleanse myself no you can't cleanse yourself But you've got a responsibility to work out your salvation. But look at verse 13. For it is God who does what? Works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we have the responsibility to walk in holiness, knowing at the end of the day, if there's going to be any holiness that happens, God has worked it into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the cleansing comes from God. We can't cleanse ourselves, but we've got to plead for him to do that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He gives us the responsibility to put to death sin. We've got to put to death sin. And then Romans 13, 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't make plans, don't make provisions, don't, don't put all this work and energy into to filling the flesh. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He has a good little comment here. The fact that I know that I cannot ultimately purify and cleanse my heart in an absolute sense does not mean that I should walk in the gutters of life, waiting for God to cleanse me. I must do everything I can and still know it is not enough and that he must do it finally. Okay, so the first two questions, what's the heart? It's the command center of who we are. It's the core of who we are. It's the most important part of us. What's purity of heart? It's that undivided heart of integrity, the longing for Christ, the purity, asking the Holy Spirit to create in us a pure heart, an undefiled heart, an undivided heart, a passionate heart, a united heart for Christ. But then we get to this really, really amazing statement in the second half of the verse, which is our third question. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's where we get the tension of the already, not yet. Now, it's very easy for us to know the already. Yes, there's going to be one day where we see God. There's the already. When we get to heaven, we will see God. We will see Jesus. Yes, that's what we wait for one day. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what does it mean right now? What does it mean to see God right now? Does it mean that we physically see him with the naked eye? What does it mean to see God? If God creates this purity in our heart, what does it mean that we see him? What's, what's Jesus really talking about? You see, in the Middle Ages, some of the Catholic mystics thought that they could see God. So what they did was they went through all these different ladders 
of sacraments and all these different things to try to get to the top. And once they reached the top of the ladder, they hoped that Jesus would appear to them and they would physically be able to see God by climbing these ladders to get to the top. And once they got to the top, hopefully, just hopefully, maybe they were good enough to get to the top to see God. Does God operate that way? Does he require us to climb these ladders to see him? Is it all up to us to, to somehow ascend? Listen to John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. No one's ever seen God. No one. Remember Moses wanted to see God? I mean Moses. If there's anybody that could see God, it was Moses. And Moses pleaded to see God. And God said, no, you can't see me or you will die, but I'll let you see my backside glory. So, so back in Exodus chapter 33, we have these words. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, so no one's ever seen God. Moses was not allowed to see God. And in 1 Timothy 6, 15-16, Timothy says this, or Paul says this to Timothy. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So clear, nobody's ever seen God. So what does it mean? The blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is it a physical seeing of God? No. What it is is this. It's a spiritual intimacy and closeness and fellowship that you have with God that comes from a pure heart. A heart of integrity for Christ experiences a depth of intimacy with Christ. You see, the more you walk in purity, the more you walk in holiness, the more you walk in righteousness, the more that you ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse your heart, the more you're going to experience the fullness of Christ. You've experienced the opposite, haven't you? When you're walking in unholiness, when you're walking in pollution, when you're walking in the gutters of life, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, is your intimacy with Christ the same? Not your salvation. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about that, that daily intimacy. So here's the issue. The degree to which you are pure is the degree in which you're going to experience the joy of your salvation. The degree to which you are walking in holiness is the degree to which you're going to have the intimacy with Christ. And the opposite is, 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 is the same. The more that you walk in unholiness, the more you walk in impurity, the less you're going to have that intimacy and that closeness with Christ. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Psalm 16, 8, <clears throat> I've set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. What does it mean to see God? It means that in this world now, we set our eyes, our spiritual eyes on, on Christ. We desire him. We long for him. We ask the Holy Spirit to purify us. We seek that intimacy. We seek that, that undivided heart, that, that heart of passion. And the more that, that we ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, the more that we're walking in purity, the more the sweetness of that communion with Christ is. The more we have our eyes fixed upon him. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David longs to be satisfied with seeing God. Not physical sight, but the spiritual sight of, of desiring to see Christ come alive in the pages of Scripture, to, to have that intimate connection with Christ in prayer. So here's what Jesus is saying. When you are pure, when you're walking in purity, when you're walking in holiness, when you're walking a clean life, you're going to experience more of the intimacy with Christ. And the opposite, the inverse is true. If you're walking in unholiness, if you're walking in impurity, the less of that intimacy you're going to experience. That's the here and now. So, so blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right now, we ask the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts so that we can experience that greater intimacy with Christ right now, knowing that we won't see him physically here on earth, so we desire that spiritual intimacy. But there's the not yet. Is there going to come a day, and this is profound, 
Is there going to come a day when we will get to see Jesus face to face? You bet. You bet. That's what we live for. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this, but how many of you took a shower this morning? Please don't raise your hand. Some of you are like, what happens when you take a shower and what happens to your mirror, unless you have a really good ventilation system? It's foggy, right? You get out of the shower, you only have to wipe down your mirror. That's what Paul's saying. Right now, it's like looking in a foggy mirror. You can kind of see the outline. You can maybe kind of shave. You can see something. But, but, but one of these days, the mirror's going to be wiped clean, and we're going to look, and we're going to see Jesus face to face when he comes back. Right now, it's kind of foggy, but when, we, when he comes back, we'll see him face to face. 1 John 3, 2-3 says this, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Notice how John there links purity with seeing Christ. At the second coming, we will see Jesus as he is in the flesh, in all of his glory. I've often given this scripture at funerals. It's from the book of Job. Even Job in the Old Testament understood what it meant to see God face to face one day. Job 19, 25 through 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. When Jesus comes back to planet earth, and stands physically and literally here, we will see him with the naked eye at that point. We will see him face to face. And then in Revelation, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. Revelation 22, 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. That's us. We'll worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will no longer need the light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is an amazing promise. In the new heaven and the new earth, there's not going to be any darkness because Jesus himself is going to be the light, and we will be able to see his face. So there's that depth of intimacy that comes with having our hearts purified now and experiencing that intimacy with Christ now, but there's that future reality that one day we will see Christ face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God spiritually now in in intimacy, but one day physically at the second coming. So let me ask you some very important questions this morning. And here's the very first question. Have you been purified by Jesus? a very simple question. Not have you cleaned up your act, not have you gone to church, not have you done all these good deeds. Have you been purified by Jesus? Well, how do I get purified by Jesus? The Bible says, call upon his name. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Ask him to forgive your sins. Surrender to him as Lord of your life. And then when you do that, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you've got to have salvation first because here's the issue. Every single person on planet earth will see Jesus. It's not just for Christians. Here's a scary thought. Christians, when we see Jesus, it will be a day of joy. Non-Christian, the day you see Jesus, it will be a day of terror, but you will see him. Revelation tells us that. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen don't be one of those that wails cries in anguish when jesus christ comes back because when you see him you haven't been purified be one who when you see christ come back you cry out with joy because he is your savior and your lord no matter what happens at the end of the day you will see jesus either you will see him as your savior or you will see him as your judge but you will see him rather see him in joy 
than see him in terror. And that comes by being purified. So if you're here today and you haven't been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Cry out for salvation. Cry out for forgiveness. Cry out in repentance. Cry out in brokenness. Come to Christ alone for salvation. And he is strong enough and able enough to save all who would come to him in repentance and faith and have their hearts cleansed. Second question. If you are a Christian and you have your heart cleansed and you have confidence that the second coming of Christ, you're going to see him in joy. Here's the second question. What's the condition of your heart this morning? What's the purity level of your heart? If we were to do a purity test, get some water and get some chemicals and, and do a purity test in your heart, what's the condition of your heart right now? Is it pure? Or is it murky? Is it muddy? Is it defiled? Is it polluted? Is it divided? Is your heart divided? Do you have that single-hearted devotion? Where's your heart this morning? Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Maybe that needs to be the prayer this morning. God, I just need you to come and create in me a clean heart because I'm looking at my heart this week and it is just plain dirty. And I can't clean myself up. I can only cry out to you to purify me. Because again, it will affect your intimacy. If you're walking in impurity this morning, don't expect to have an intimacy with Christ. What you're going to do is you're going to try to put a band-aid on the outside and you're going to try to run from Christ, but the last thing you want to do is to have a closeness with Christ. It will affect your intimacy, not your salvation, your intimacy, your fellowship. So second question, where's your heart? Third question, where's your gaze? Where are your eyes? Are your eyes on the things of this world? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wouldn't you rather see God where are so many, our eyes are on so many things, especially this Christmas season. Where are our eyes? Our eyes are on so many things. And what happens is our eyes are conflicted, our hearts conflicted. We have divided eyes, we have divided hearts. We're looking at all these places. Where's our single focus gaze? It should be on Christ. Are our eyes on Christ? Where is your gaze this morning? Are you longing to see the glory of Christ? The glory of Christ. Have you been purified? Where's your heart? And where's your gaze? Because here's the bottom line of what Jesus is saying. A heart of integrity for Christ experiences a depth of intimacy with Christ. And would that we'd all have that depth of intimacy that's directly collected, correlated to the purity. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I want you to spend just a few moments in silent prayer evaluating yourself in light of this scripture. Let the word of God pierce you between the, the soul and spirit, a joint and marrow. It's a double-edged sword. Ask the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in you, but you've got to come face-to-face with the, the condition of your heart this morning. No band-aids, no cosmetics, no window dressing. It's you and God and your heart. Where's your heart this morning? And in the quietness of this moment, when you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, when you ask the Holy Spirit to create in you a clean heart, when you ask God to do a, a work in your heart, believe me, he's going to do it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity for the quietness of this moment for the Holy Spirit to work. I know the Holy Spirit's sovereign. I know the Holy Spirit works the way that he's going to work, but I, I feel like as your pastor, I need to provide a, a moment here, just a quietness of this moment for you and God to do some serious business together. So spend some time in quietness this morning asking God to search your heart. Manipulation here this morning. We're not going to turn the lights down low. We're not going to play music. We're not going to try to pull on your emotional heartstrings to try to somehow coerce a decision out of you. Because sometimes the most important thing that can happen at the end of a worship service when you've been confronted with truth is to sit in the silence of your own heart and see how God works. So I'm going to ask us to sit in just a little bit longer of silence and use this time to just continue to beg and plead with the Lord to do a work in your heart this morning. know the condition of our hearts. We could come into this place and fool a lot of people by making the outside look so polished. Maybe we've come in here with fruit stapled onto our bodies. 
hoping that people won't figure out what's really going on in our hearts. And Lord, we know that you look to the very depth of who we are. And my prayer this morning is that you would cleanse us by the power of the gospel, by the blood of Christ. Holy Spirit, would you create in us a clean heart? We can't clean ourselves up. We can't try harder. We can't make another New Year's resolution. All we can do is beg with the sovereign God to do what only a sovereign God can do, and that's create. You created the heavens and the earth in such great power. Think about what you can do to our hearts, Lord, in great power. Because we want to see you. We want to see you right now, Lord Jesus, in intimacy, in that deep fellowship. We want to have our, our eyes fixed upon you. And Lord Jesus, we wait. Father, in light of the evil in this world that we've seen, we long for your coming, Jesus. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus. You are the light of the world. And we long to see your face. What a glorious day that will be to see you as you really are. But Lord, in that, there's a sadness because there will be many that will see you, those who have pierced you, those who have rejected you, and they will see you not as the beautiful, glorious Savior, but they'll see you as their judge. Oh Lord, today, if there's anybody in this room that has not repented, they've not abandoned their sin, they've not forsaken their sin, they've not come to the point where they realize that they stand helpless and hopeless before a holy God and their only hope is to cry out to Jesus and what he's done on the cross and what he's done in the resurrection, that they've truly given their life to him in repentance and faith, would today be their day of salvation so that when you do come back, Jesus, it will be a day of joy for them, not a day of terror. Pray for lost people this morning that are even here under the sound of my voice that you would save them in your power. Lord, we want to be a purified bride as you are our groom. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thank you, Jesus, for this blessing upon us. Thank you for doing this work in us, and thank you for the promise of being able to see you. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.